The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hey guys, it's Derek. So, for the first... 30 or so minutes of this podcast, we're going to talk about the Maurice Washington situation. And because of the nature of the whole situation, like you could talk about something and then 30 minutes later, that talk could be outdated. So we recorded this podcast on a Thursday afternoon or a Thursday. It was around noon when we recorded it on Thursday and we talked for about an hour total. And then we finished up and then, um, Maurice Washington's attorney, John C. Ball, released a statement uh, basically confirming that a warrant had been issued for Maurice Washington's arrest, that Washington was going to be self-surrendering and returning to California. Um, a time frame for, for that is going to be set at a later date. A court date has not been set. And then Nebraska released its own statement basically detailing the timeline of what they knew and when they knew it and who all was involved in um, this whole situation spanning back to September of 2018. So that stuff, all of that information is all published in one story on our website on hailvarsity.com that you can go read. Um, so I just wanted to get out in front of it and say that's, you know, this conversation happened before uh, an arrest warrant was officially signed or before the news broke that that arrest warrant had been signed. So Keep that in mind. Let's get to the podcast. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. You suck. Aaron Sorensen is with us. And for the only time in like the last two months that I've recorded this podcast, the light in our podcasting room is on. So everybody else is fine with the light being off, but you need to have the light on because you're special. I'm special. I can't sit in the darkness. Okay. Although I did. And you also laugh at me while I try I, to intro it's just this thing. We can blame other people. because of Chris Gorman. It is because of Chris Gorman. So after he pointed out to me that you say welcome to, which I don't see anything wrong with the emphasis on to for the record, but every time now I hear it. So when I listen to the podcast, when I'm a part of the podcast, I just can't help it. You hear Chris Gorman's voice in the back because he does it. He, he, he over-dramatized to- yes. Yeah. He over-dramatized I do not it. do that. You don't do that, no. No. One of these days, I'm just going to be like, what's up, losers? <laughs> what up, losers? This is the podcast. <laughs> Hello. Aaron, how are you? I'm good. I bought some blue... Because of this whole lighting situation, I bought some of those blue light glasses because I thought, you know, maybe that would also help just being able to see my computer screen and stuff. Like, oh. that's why I ha- like lights on and oh, stuff. Oh, okay. But I put the blue light glasses on and apparently my eyes like blue light because I was like getting a headache with the glasses on. I think that's the opposite of how it's supposed to work. Yeah, it's supposed to have the opposite effect. Yeah, I don't know. When you first said blue light, my mind went to black light. So I was trying to yeah. figure out. Yeah, I just can see all. Cool, cool uh, novelty idea though yeah it is a cool novel except for you know that you wouldn't remember this because you're too young which is not a slight because this show has damaged so many of our brain cells but there's a show on mtv where next i think it was not next i don't even remember but they went into one person went into people's bedrooms or their homes and like looked around and they don't know who this person is but they basically picked the person they wanted to go on a date with based on the way that their room oh room raiders that's what it was called 
And so, of course, they would take a black light to the room, and that was always the part where you just no. wish that, like, society hadn't evolved to that moment where we were to be able to, like, share that on TV. But They were putting me... that on TV? Oh, yeah. Going MTV, through a random MTV. person's room with a black light yeah, and MTV putting it like, on TV. Yeah, MTV in, like, the mid-2000s were, like, it was a journey. Now it's just spinoffs of, like, Wasn't the it beach. supposed to be music? Music television, yeah. I am old enough to remember when MTV was music. I mean, not even like it. It's not what it used to be. It only used to be music videos. I know that's what I'm saying. Yeah, and then they brought back TRL, which is supposed to be music video countdowns, and then didn't even like show music videos. It's amazing. TV sucks in general. <laughs> I don't watch TV. I just re- I, I recycle the same four Netflix shows. Uh, so I just finished Friends the other day, and I just restarted it again. Good for you. So, well, all the stuff that I watch is done. Yeah, I did get caught up with that you show on Netflix, though. I haven't watched that. You should watch it. Very. It, it, there's like there's too much. There's too much relationship stuff, but the the thriller kind of psychological aspect of it is is really interesting to me. So watch it. I, I haven't watched told the Fire you to Festival. Watch, you need to watch the Fire Festival and then watch the one on Hulu as well because they're both like. They're both like give different perspectives a little bit. Same same concept. They take a different like viewpoint of it a little bit. Excuse me. Um, but the other one I said is the world's most extraordinary homes. It's so just nuts. It's not like giant homes. Like when I went into oh, I watched that. It's like cool homes. It's not just like yeah. giant homes. Mm-hmm. It's I've like, watched that. When I was in middle school, I wanted to be an architect. So oh, I've always yeah. had an affinity for. Uh, architecture and structures and stuff like that we started with the good stuff nice happy thoughts i don't want to talk about it because we're going to talk about bad stuff sorry there was no news in nebraska athletics this week the university news nothing just you know nothing well most of it happened monday and then throughout the rest of this week it has been trickling out just other stuff so monday but with monday i have to say this really quick for anyone listening to this podcast and then also for us, we should have known something was coming on Monday because they news dropped, they news dumped, excuse me, three things very quickly within the span of like an hour. And they're pretty yeah. sizable things. If you are listening to this podcast and somebody ever does that again in the future, just figure there's news coming after. Well, so 11.15 was when the first thing came out. And the first thing was we got contracts the contract signed contract yeah. extensions for all 10 coaches yeah which was kind of annoying in the order of which this happened because then we started working on that Those so we, the biggest thing. we started then, working on the contracts and then we find out well and then the at, spring game at 12 p.m um we got a spring game announcement yeah and then at 1205 we dawson. learned that mike dawson was leaving to take a position with the new york giants which makes the contract story a little bit more hard more difficult to write because yes. you're like writing it and it's like well never mind and for people i've seen a bunch of this on twitter so i'm just going to say this right now dawson signed his contract extension january 19th yes of 2019 he informed scott frost a week ago or or as frost said in his statement on monday last week late last week so there was close to two three weeks that had passed between when he signed his contract extension and when he accepted a job with the new york giants and the people he's who's... working with pat Shermer, who he also worked with um, with, a, on the Eagles staff when he was with... He's a New England guy. Yeah. He likes, he's... Yeah. There's that. And he also did not get a pay raise with his contract extension, so he did not 
I've seen a bunch of people. Oh, he took money and ran. No, he didn't. He didn't do that. He just. Well, everyone. This who... is what's going to happen when the staff is successful. They're going to get better jobs. So no harm, no foul. Everybody loves Dawson here still, and he's going to coach outside linebackers for the New York Giants. So that happened at twelve oh five. But really quick with the Dawson thing, and I know like we don't need to like go too much into this for like for those people who I saw that were like he shouldn't have accepted signed the job or signed the contract extension if he knew he was interviewing elsewhere. Would you, like, just think of yourself in, like, any other job situation. If you were interviewing for a job elsewhere, would you be, some people might be forthcoming with their current boss and their current employer, but more than likely most of them wouldn't be. So why would you not? What if you didn't get the job? Or what if you find out the job's not a right fit, so you just screwed yourself over by not signing your contract extension? Yeah, job security for the one. Yeah, you're going to do it. It's fine. Okay, I missed the timeline up. Timeline up. Sorry. How dare 11, you? Eleven fifteen Monday morning was the announcement that Nebraska was adding the transfer walk-on punter from Michigan. Oh, that's State. right. There was that. I felt he was the person I felt bad for in the whole thing because his, like, his news, news got just got completely just. So congratulations, random kicker. I can't pronounce your name because I don't remember it. Yeah. Uh, Twelve p.m. Nebraska released contract extensions for all ten assistants plus Zach Duvall. They all signed through December thirty-first, twenty twenty. For the record, Dave Ellis is in a different pool of money. For so the people who keep asking why he's not included in that, it's not because. Because he's not important, he's in a different pool of money. <laughs> I just don't want to keep him around. Uh, 12.05 spring game time announced. That's going to be at 1 p.m. on April 13th on BTN. Second straight season that the a, a scrimmage is on BTN, so that's cool. Um, and then 12.15, Dawson is leaving for the job. And then about 45 minutes later, 35 minutes later, the <clears throat> um, new NBC Bay Area story that Maurice Washington is facing criminal charges for revenge distribution porn of child pornography. And the revenge porn. So the revenge porn is a misdemeanor in California, Correct. and the distribution of child pornography is a felony. Right. So I'm just going to pull up our story that we had on our site. So from the report, um, and this is, this is one important uh, distinction that I want to make before we start talking about this. So Maurice Washington is not being accused. He's not being charged. There's, there are no allegations that he was in any way involved in the sexual assault that took place with this girl in 2016. Or the recording of the video. That is not what is being alleged. What is being alleged is that he had the video after the entire school was told to delete it after because there's a search warrant that says that the school found out about it. The school informed all the students that if they had the video on their phones, they needed to delete it. Washington still had it on his phone Um his senior year of high school mm-hmm. and sent it to the girl. And so that is that is what has c- caused all of this. He was not involved and he's not being charged with sexual assault in any way. No. Um, so Washington dated the victim during his freshman year uh, when he was in California. He's being charged under the revenge porn law um, because he's accused of sending that video to, quote-unquote, inflict emotional damage on the victim. Um, And because that victim was 15 years old at the time the video was recorded and he was 18 when he sent the video, he's also being charged with distribution of child pornography. So those are, regardless of how you feel about the severity of what he did, Mm -hmm. those are cut and dry facts that, like, they're very easy to prove. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the situation that we're in. So the thing that has made this all muddied is, according to the report, Nebraska was made aware of the allegations against Washington, quote-unquote, sometime last fall, while Washington was playing through his freshman season. So he played 11 of the 12 games. The only game he missed was Purdue, and that was with an injury. Um, Washington's attorney 
now John C. Ball is not his attorney that he had in September when all of this came out. And that guy was John Brunning. Did I get the first name right? John Bruning. Bruning, yeah. So he's a former Nebraska attorney general who represented Washington from mid-September to February 8th. Mm-hmm. So what has come out after the fact through reporting from, let me get her name right, Aaliyah Conley from the Omaha World Herald. Mm-hmm. Aaliyah does good work. Yeah. For the record. She's done really good. Um, um, which I can't even imagine being like... Well, so crime so, reporters are great people at what they do. For the record, documents filed in California court claimed that Washington rebuffed requests to talk. They prosecutors and, and the lead investigators in California have not been able to talk to Washington yet. Um, I think his attorney said recently that Washington is going to go back to California at some point to talk to them. He's going to have to go back there anyway at some point. But I think that's what they're working. They think they're working out the logistics of that now. Um, Brenning was the formal, former attorney general, um, and he said that he did not share details of the allegations with the University of Nebraska because of attorney-client privilege. But when the Santa Clara County Sheriff's Department came to him, they came to him under the assumption, I believe, that he was representing the University of Nebraska Athletic Department. Mm-hmm. So there's a, I think the central thing for this... and. Okay, that's not us cheering. If you um, heard that, we're not cheering. People in the conference room next door are cheering. So I think, and, and we can get into some of the other details because I, I 100% left some stuff out that we can talk about in a little bit. But I think, to me, the central issue in all of this, or the central question that needs to be answered, is Brunning became his attorney in September. Why? When in How? September? Yeah, that's a better way to phrase it. How? How did why. he become? His How did attorney? he become Moe's attorney? How did they get put in touch? And was that was that situation created for Nebraska to have plausible deniability? In the sense that if Brunning is serving as the the middle guy, and then he can then claim attorney-client privilege and not disclose details of mm-hmm. the investigation or what's happening to the athletic department, then the statements that both Bill Moose on Sports Nightly has made and that the university has released that we weren't aware of the severity of this stuff, we weren't really aware, we they came to us, but we didn't have any details and we didn't follow up. That stuff can all be true, and it can also be true that the Santa Clara County Sheriff's Department reached out and thought that they were talking to the athletic department when in, in reality they were talking with Bruning or Brunning? How do you pronounce his last name? I thought it was Bruning, but I could be wrong. Well, we'll say Bruning for the sake of this. I don't this, know. Somebody I'm, can I correct me if I'm wrong. I, honestly, his attorney. His attorney. So I, I think his attorney becomes a central figure in all this because he's not his attorney anymore. So what are your thoughts on this? I guess we'll just use that as a jumping off point. <laughs> um, there are so many layers to this story, so many things that like I could break down where I've I have a lot of different um, – like, first and foremost, aside from all of the Nebraska piece of it, it breaks my heart that the young woman in question, and now we're going to actually go back three years, it breaks my heart that in that moment when this terrible thing happened to her, she did not feel capable of pressing charges. Not, And again, that has nothing to do with Maurice Washington. The reason it's important for me to say this, though, is she has come out in that Bay Area um, article and said how, you know, she... 
she didn't she felt like she'd be shamed at that time and that she wasn't ready to essentially like face what had happened to her and it it's for me aside from all else it breaks my heart that she felt like she could not press charges because of the things that were she was afraid like afraid of what people would think and that is at the core of it for me a piece that's like completely independent of everything else where it's like we need to do better about supporting young women and for the people who are like but men and men as well when it happens all people who are put into bad situations to feel they are able to to get the help to get the support that they need without feeling they're going to be shamed that is one like whole layer of that that has nothing to do with any of the other stuff but it's just something i think about now when we get into the case of what has recently happened you know we obviously know a little bit about maurice washington's story his upbringing his family um and some of that does play a role into this when you think of a lot of uh young men and women who've grown up in rough situations who maybe don't have strong family support systems or even not even a family like just not having a strong support system in general they tend to get themselves into trouble maybe they don't have the best coping mechanisms for the things that are happening around them it's easy to see in a teenage brain that's already like teenagers are already excuse me already insane um actually for anyone who's familiar with boys town in omaha uh they call teenager they call the teenage years temporary insanity which feels about right So, like, on top of the fact that you have a teenager who's already, like, you know, you've got all kinds of things going through a teenager's brain, and then you have them incapable of maybe coping correctly with um, rejection, uh, with whatever else is going on, you can see where these things can happen. So, that does not excuse Maurice Washington and his decisions. It's just easy to see how these things can happen. Um... But that doesn't mean he shouldn't be held accountable for his decisions and for the dumb things that he has done. Where I start to get like a little bit more frustrated in all of this outside of just what happened is the fact that Nebraska allegedly knew something in September around there. And obviously we may not know the extent of what they knew because to a certain degree Bruning can use the whole client uh, lawyer Attorney client privilege. Yeah, so that way we may never know exactly how much the university knew because they can play that card and it's a fair card to play because there are there are laws in place f- to protect client uh, clients when they're working with someone. Mm-hmm. But if Nebraska knew more, which there are fair questions out there, how did Bruning get to Washington? How did they? How did how did he afford him? A lot of things like that. You start to get a little bit frustrated with Nebraska because they recognized when they recruited Maurice Washington that he was a kid who needed support. He was a kid who needed a stable, healthy environment. Well, he was a kid who had been expelled from his last yep. And they school. had to work on him getting a higher ACT score. So they, they really, really preached that they wanted to bring him here they invested a lot in him but they invested it outside of just football how many times did we hear it's not about the football player it's not about the football player but i'm just saying how many times did we hear that we heard it a lot but was that true that's my thing where it starts to get frustrating for me where it's like if you are going to say that you're bringing this athlete to your university because you want to be providing them 
that stability, that everything that they need to be successful, and you're going to invest that time in them, when they screw up and when something really bad happens, you cannot brush it under the rug. You have to hold them accountable because that is truly caring about someone, is holding them accountable. You can absolutely still be a support system and you can definitely help them out to the best of your ability and what you're allowed to do. But where you start to like help them get out of something without having to face it, that's where it starts to get a little problematic for me. Now, we, again, don't know the extent. So a lot of that is just assumption based on my part. And I can't say any of it's true or not true. We don't know the full extent. I'm just saying I would hope that if Nebraska knew that their first reaction would not have been, let's try to sweep this under the rug or make it go away. Because he still needs to be held accountable. That's not saying kick him off the team and forget the kid, kick him to the curb. That's not That's not it at all. I'm not saying like, screw this individual. You can still care about somebody and want better for them, but actually still hold them accountable. If one is not, they're not mutually exclusive things. But right now we're in a situation where a lot of people are viewing it that way. But aside from that, it's just more of like, what did Nebraska know and to what extent and how much were they involved? Which is, I don't think, it's not, it's not a question anybody has the answer to. So Bill Moose says he does not know how Bruning became Washington's lawyer. Um, he said that Nebraska will cooperate and that Washington is cooperating. If I was like a PR person, if this is like the like PR nightmare. But anyway, continue <laughs> Bruning said that he represented Washington until the, a California reporter contacted him about this story and about pending charges against him. And at that point, Washington was referred to John Ball, who is his attorney now. Mm-hmm. So there's also a statement from the Santa Clara County Sheriff's Office that says that Bruning told them that he was an attorney for the Nebraska Athletic Department to which Bruning has denied and said that he has never represented the University of Nebraska as legal counsel. Um, But then the World Herald asked him, okay, how did your relationship with Washington begin? And he dodged the question. Well, because he has the client, he has the... um... The response that he gave to the World Herald, out of respect for the process and Mr. Washington's right to a fair trial, I won't have anything else to say on the matter. So... I mean, does he that have question. to? Does he have to admit to where? He, I mean, because that's part of the client. Like, that's part of the privilege of like he, he can. I don't know if that falls under attorney-client privilege. I don't know if you if the, the if the beginning if how your relationship. Be, I don't know if how you were put in touch. I don't know if that falls under because it's not something that Washington disclosed to him. It's no. something that somebody would have come to him and said, "We would like you to represent this person." Right. I don't. I, I don't imagine Maurice Washington. 19-year-old Maurice Washington who he just moved here find, from California. He did not find John Bruning. I imagine he did not know this person. He did not. Or did not know. And I don't think he went to Google and was like, best defense attorney in the state of Nebraska. No, I don't think that was the case. So how does he get in touch? I think all signs point to, well, it seems like Nebraska would be the one that put him in touch because Bruning is a former attorney general. And I, I think that's just... To me, that's the most interesting question because when I look oh, at yeah, it... Yeah, like, he's friends with people. Like, he's friends with very specific people that are surrounding this. Yeah. yeah. Um, the the stuff that... Wa- the allegations that Washington faces, the charges that he faces, they're very cut and dry. It's very easy to prove in a court of law whether 
those allegations are true to me. That's that's the way I see it. Um, it it sounds like he could plead down, um, or it could be a case of he gets probation and he doesn't serve jail time. I think that's the most likely outcome of this mm-hmm. from a legal standpoint. So then, then the shift or the, the focus shifts to okay, what is the response to all this from right. from Nebraska? Because there's not there's not a a, a statement that they're going to release or a course of action that they're going to take that's going to be universally loved by everybody. There's no. not going to be anything that they do from this point forward that's going to be, quote-unquote, a good look for the university. They're in a bad situation. Whether they put themselves in that situation or not, that's a question we we need to, to answer, we need to figure out. But if we're talking about moving forward, some people have said he needs to be kicked off the team. Mm-hmm. Um I don't personally. I don't. I don't think he gets kicked off. I don't think there's any way he's leaving the football team. And I don't necessarily think that that's because he's just a really good football player. Like I would like to think better of this coaching staff than that. I think if they if they needed to make that decision, I think they would. Um, I think it it has more. This reminds me so much of the thing that we went through at Oklahoma with D.D. Westbrook in 2014. Mm-hmm. So we had a a domestic assault charge. Um, or it wasn't a charge. It was a it was a dispute. It was an incident with a girlfriend, but he was never actually charged. And this was before he got to Oklahoma. And so that stuff didn't pop up in background checks that they made on him when they were recruiting him. And so when all this stuff came to light a couple years later, Oklahoma said, we didn't know about this. We didn't know that there were these things out there in his past we didn't know because they didn't show up in background because there weren't charges filed and that was that was their way of kind of saying look we're not going to kick him off the team because we didn't know about it beforehand and it's not something we want to we want to continue to provide a stable environment where they said if we kick him off the team what does that do for him as a person it takes away his stability it takes away his support system and we're not going to do that to him. So we're going to keep him here. He's going to face punishment for what he did. And we're going to continue to help him grow as a person. And I, mm-hmm. I see that as the most likely course of action for Nebraska. Yeah. Based on what you said earlier, they, they invested a lot in him. They knew there was baggage with him yes. when he came. And they committed to him anyway. And they remained committed to him after the, the expulsion at the high school in that, that situation. So I think a multiple-game suspension for him an acknowledgement that he did something wrong, but continual support of Washington. I think that's going to be what we hear. And whether people like that or not, I think that's just what's going to happen. He's not going to so, kick off the team. here's the thing that I wish, if like in a perfect world, is if Nebraska did in fact know, and again, what we end up, like the most we, whatever we end up learning in this situation, if we ever find out exactly what they knew, in a perfect world, it would have been, nice if this could have been acknowledged when they learned about it if that was in the fall Uh, because I think that that would have definitely limited the amount of backlash that they will get either way on the decision now I agree with you I do not think he's going to be removed from the team I do believe that there's a suspension coming but see I would add another layer to all of this and I hope that they take this I actually said something similar when Keith Williams um, was charged for his third DUI I said I, I thought it would be really beneficial if they found an opportunity for him to become 
a teacher to others. So finding opportunities for him to speak in the athletic department, um, to the many young people that he came into contact with on a daily basis, uh, but also finding ways within the community to give back. That was something that I thought could have been a really, really, if sincere, a really neat way to um, sort of build a path to redemption. Because the one thing that we tend to do and I actually was talking to Chris Gorman, who makes fun of this intro of this podcast. Welcome about this. to. Welcome to. No, we, we have a tendency to not really build up that path to redemption where we don't allow people to redeem themselves. So how can he, how can if push comes to shove, he stays on the team, they're going to support him, he gets whatever punishment it is. How is there a path to redemption for him? Now, it has to be sincere. It can't just be like we're going to force the kid to do it. But, you know, teammates is a big part of what Nebraska stands for. Get him hooked up in teammates where he can be a mentor to young people and teach them through his like through his errors what not to do. This is going to continue to be something where young people are going to face the challenges of potentially sending videos that they should not send to people, photos they should not send to people, um, just the reaction that they might have through social media and text messages with one another. I'm sounding like I'm an old person in the way that I'm like, oh, the young people with their videos and their phones. But I'm just saying, like, there's an opportunity for him to use his mistakes as as a lesson and as an opportunity to help others. I'm not talking about this tomorrow, but there are opportunities for him to do something that could be really powerful within the community. Later down the line. Down the line. But I I think there has to be an opportunity for him to build that path to redemption. And I think the best way to go about doing that is to... Work hard, stay out of trouble, but then eventually lend yourself and your time to others. Well, the way I want to phrase it, Shut up and go about your business. Yeah, no, absolutely. Again, I'm not saying that like in two months he should be doing this, but there's an opportunity for him to use his life lessons to help others and to make things better. Is he mature enough to handle it? Maybe not right now, but I think the hope would be if this is the case where they believe in him and he gets a suspension and they continue to support him, hopefully you build him into an individual that is mature enough that to do something like that. I think, so here's my thought process, because he'll be a sophomore. His hair is just in my face. Nobody can see it but me. I, I um, just want to say, because it sounds like I hate your idea, and I don't. I like, that's that's cool. I, wa- I don't want it to be forced. No, I don't want it, it to be, be forced. I don't want it to be media blasted. Look at what we're doing no. with Maurice Washington. I, I want I it to be behind you, the scenes. I don't think you ever tell anyone he's doing okay, it. Okay, good. And I want it to be, if that's, <clears throat> that's the course of action they take, I don't want it to be until Maurice actually... Like here's is, how I, is ready, and he could be mature enough to handle it now. But here's he how needs I to be it. ready to do that. Think of all the young um, players that are now. You know, I look at the team Jack Gala, for instance, and the players that are involved in it. A lot of them weren't involved when they were in college, but as they graduated or as they got older, you know, they got another senior year or their first couple of years after they graduated, they got more involved with it, and it came from a place of true sincerity where they really wanted to be involved with it. Not saying that they that they don't want to be when they're in school. It's just for these individuals, once they graduated or once they got a little bit older, they understood the magnitude of what team jack was doing and they wanted to give more of their time but they weren't giving more of their time so that people would pat them on the back they were just doing it because it was it's they're doing it because it's something that means a great deal to them that's why so many of them now travel back for the gala every february because they know this is something that means a lot to me 
that's what you would hope with him is if you get him hooked up with something like that where he can be a can be a you know big brother or role model to others when he's ready for it and mature you don't go spread that news to like media outlets you don't go tell a bunch of people because that looks insincere you just set him up with the tools and let him run with it and see if it's something that is something he wants to do and you know maybe it's four or five six years down the road but like I think that's the one area where I always hope these young men and young women can end up being role models and examples for the good and the bad for those that are coming after them but yeah no you can't force it and you can't make somebody do it and I'm, I'm saying in a perfect world how I would see it happening but I hope that at some point there's a path to redemption for him if there is and that path to redemption is not a public path to redemption yeah well there should be I mean this is not it's he didn't sexually assault anyone what he did was terrible horrible awful shouldn't do it but it's not what it's he did not was the a worst. stupid, boneheaded, dumb move, and we all like can at least acknowledge like it's not something that regardless of life. what you think, he he was an idiot, and we can all. I'm sure he probably feels like an idiot right now too. I mean, I I hope so. You hope so. Yeah. But like, let's talk. You just hope that like ultimately this ends in a way that like I always say. Hopefully, when the storm clears for the individuals involved there can be some peace and there can be some ways to actually make the world a better place from it but you can't force that and we can't have those answers today right. thanks for yawning at that sorry um let's let's talk it's rude let's talk about dawson I don't let's switch gears and talk about dawson so <clears throat> i talked to uh i like how you just ignored me saying i don't want to too bad we've got three <laughs> things we're supposed to talk about on this podcast we've talked about one We'll keep the Dawson thing short. Okay. Um, so I talked to Mick Stoltenberg Monday night mm-hmm. when that happened. And, and one of the things that stood out to me most was he was talking about, you know, he had friends that have been with the same defensive line coach for four or five years and that know the defense like the back of their hand and know what they're supposed to do and can right. operate instinctually when they're on the field. Nebraska has not had that luxury. This is about to be their fourth defensive line coach in the last five seasons. So great. Not it's the new. Um, so. What's the position that like every travis fisher was in the is, was the one defensive I, backs coach yeah defensive backs yeah. coaches i was trying to think of like yeah there's been a lot of there has been a lot of that and that's an issue and so uh, the yeah. thing that made dawson so beloved by this group was that was not only the fact His that philly cheesesteak recipe well that too um he also gave them fat jack's barbecue before yep. the season started when they had a, 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 a meeting at his house mm-hmm. um he it wasn't just that he made everyone feel like family part of the appeal of Dawson as a defensive line coach was that he knew this system he knew it mm-hmm. like the back of his hand so to speak and he was able to teach some of the minutia of playing the position yeah, and he, he was also able to teach like how to do this and i think the thing that is going to be most important for replacing him is finding somebody that knows this this 3-4 attacking mm-hmm. style that Shenander plays. He doesn't I don't think he necessarily has to have come from this coaching tree, but I think he has to he has to be able to come in and know what's what's being asked of the players because it's Well, yeah, because I mean If you're trying to learn as the teacher along with the players, the players are not going to learn. I mean And that sets them back. Your example is Bob Diaco's defense. 
In a roundabout way, yes, 100%. Because if you see, like, when people make comments about how different the defensive line played, and, and there, were still, there were still hiccups, and there were still things that needed to be overcome, but for the most part, the defense in 2018 was much stronger than the defense in 2017, and the defensive line especially made a lot of improvement. And a big one, speaking of Mick, when I would talk to him during the season, was just their ability to attack. They were definitely, they were given more of an, they were, they were allowed to go after the ball, but they were also allowed to be a little bit more aggressive. And a big part of that is they were taught correctly how to play it, whereas they they walked into the 3-4 with Diaco's defense, always coming out with more questions than they had when they went into it. It was always just like, what are you asking us to do? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, to your point, you don't necessarily have to have someone within this, like, family tree of the coaching, the, of this coaching staff, but they better know it because that was an advantage of what Dawson did, to your point, with this 3-4, is he took something that was overly complicated in 2017, and when Shenander's defense came in, I mean, it was like a light bulb, like, flipped on for so many of them where it was like, oh, wait, this is what it can be like? You do not want to go back to a place where it's overcomplicating and those guys are constantly questioning everything they do so that they can't play. Because mm-hmm. yeah. that's that's what they did in 2017. You don't need to revert to that. I think more so than anything else, this the importance of this hire is in that it needs to be somebody that's going to be here for a while. A while. They can't keep cycling through position coaches year after year after year. They need to find somebody that's going to be here for four or five seasons. They just need... They need stability and they need continuity within. And when I say they, I mean the players. They they need continuity within the coaching staff and within the people that are teaching them concepts and teaching them schemes. And and the freshmen need that just as much mm-hmm. as the juniors, the fourth yep. year juniors need that. Somebody oh, like yeah. Tyron Ferguson, who's had so many position coaches. Like, what would he look like if he had the same position coach for exactly. four years? What of- would Mick have looked like if he had the same position coach for how many years? Well, what would Mick have looked like if he had the same strength and conditioning it, and the same uh, yeah. nutrition coaches for the same? Yeah, I mean, it, it, but it's all it's all related. If all of these, if all things are equal, and they are there with the same people for multiple seasons, you would assume that they get better. Mm-hmm. Then they ended up being because and that's some, not saying they were bad. At some point, then the learning stops and the development begins. Ooh, that's deep. Put um, that on a wall. <laughs> I think the somewhere the learning stops and the true development begins. Ooh, this is a whiteboard. Yeah, I could write this right here. I could write it on there. Um, do you think? How, what, what do you think the timeline is on this? Uh, I they'll think have someone in place by spring, the beginning, so March fourth. March fourth. I think so as well. I think they. I thought that all the coaching changes were done, and then Jim Love got fired at Oregon a couple days ago. Yeah, I know. Which is so strange to fire a DC like a couple <laughs> weeks before your spring ball begins. But whatever, do you, Oregon? I mean, the thing with the thing with Dawson and them getting at Nebraska and getting a defensive line coach. Obviously, unfortunately, gosh, I hate like every word right now. Just feels not great. I don't mean unfortunately, like unfortunately because of other news happening, but to a certain degree. The announcement of a new defensive line coach is going to probably be a little bit of a, it's going to be a little bit of a muted celebration, if you will, because people are probably going to still be talking about um, everything with Maurice Washington at that point. So not like in any way saying like it's, 
there's just no good way to say anything. They right should now. they should do what they did at the basketball game Wednesday night and have him jump out of a cake at center court. During yeah, halftime. that feels like that would be the perfect way to do that. That'd be a good way to to introduce him also, to the fan base. Having watched that all happening on Twitter, what in what happened during that halftime? Because that just seemed like a circus. So here's what happened. They the Hank was that Hank Bounds singing Happy Birthday? No, it was Ronnie Green. The big, uh, that's what I meant. Ronnie the big Green. screen went black. And there was a little like flickering white light in the top right corner. Yeah, because you guys kept and trying they, to send me photos. They it was started. Not great. <laughs> they started playing what sounded like the intro to Sirius, and I thought we were about to get some kind of tunnel walk with the football team, which would have been like the worst timing. That's of, like, what I was anything. saying. I thought something was about to happen with the football team, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is going to make this so much better." And then Scott Frost and Bill Moose come walking out. And Scott Frost has his Nebraska business t-shirt on. And Ronnie Green comes out with the best winter beard ever. And they come out to half court. And they brought Scott Frost on a half court at PBA to sing happy birthday to UNL. Scott didn't sing it, did he? Yeah, he did. With a microphone? He didn't have a microphone, but he was behind Ronnie singing it. Ronnie had the microphone and, and sang it. I'm just it. so glad that when And they, they had Bill Moose out there also. But didn't Herbie, like, jump out of a cake? And then they brought a giant cake out and put it at center court. And when Herbie jumped out, they shot streamers everywhere. And the streamer got caught One on of the them got screen. caught on the camera underneath the big screen. And so after they left, they had to bring a giant ladder out. And somebody got up on the ladder with a broom and tried to knock the streamer out. You can't. It's Matt Tomjack. You can't, like, not give him his credit in his moment. Congratulations to this week's MVP, Matt Tomjack. You are a hero. Everybody was cheering. We are forever indebted to you. He's the director of marketing and fan experience for Husker Athletics. Better halftime show than the Super Bowl. Um, I have to just point out that when I read his title, I almost said fun experience for Husker Athletics because he's only in charge of the fun. Um, but, yes. Good job, Matt. Yeah, so that's what happened. And they had this weird, like, steel drum thing going on before. And they were playing Shake Senora. I thought it was going to be, like, much more intense than it actually was. Like, I was excited to have a drum line, and then they played, like, do 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 do. And it was, like, really. Can you? It was name really disappointing. The movie that Shake Senora is from? No, it was before my time. It's from Beetlejuice. When was Beetlejuice released? I don't know, like the 90s? 100% before my time. 1988. Yeah, yeah, before my time. It's a good movie. You should watch it sometime. Seven years before I was born, that movie came out. That's embarrassing. No. Feel old. So here's, (laughs) this is why everything just like, and people who are listening are probably like, ooh, this is like, don't be dramatic, whatever. Bite me. Um, This whole thing just feels a little bit weird because I just want to point something out. When all of this was happening, so you've got uh, Ronnie Green singing a happy birthday on a microphone, and you've got Bill Moose and Scott Frost, and Scott Frost is launching t-shirts into the crowd. You know who's sitting in his courtside seat watching them do it is John Bruning. (laughs) I wish people could see the facial expression that Derek just made, because it was the, like, Fish from Grumpy Fish. The fish from SpongeBob. But yeah, it was just like, oh, just. You had to bring it back. Happy birthday, Nebraska. (laughs) You had to bring it back. Oh, everything it just feels gross and terrible. Cancel the university. Uh, Happy birthday! You made it 150 years. Shut it down. Frost was (laughs) rifling 
t-shirts. Like, like, do you think that was him just getting all of his aggression out? He's just like, oh. no, he wasn't. He wasn't trying very hard. He, it didn't look like he was putting much effort into it, and they were still coming out like cannons. I wish he like was just like nailing people in the face, <laughs> just like smoking people. Uh, Robin had a fantastic tweet. What are you doing? I dropped my shoe. Robin had a fantastic tweet that he's just you know slingshotting these things into people's faces and they love it like give me more please yeah seriously though people would be like nebraska fans would be like that's fun i got hit in the face with a t-shirt by scott frost that'd be the best party line ever yeah it's like um in the movie mean girls where she was like um isn't she like one of them like stop trying to make mean girls happen it's not gonna happen Oh, please, it happened a lot. Let's, um, uh, let's... But, like, she says, like, something like she got punched and it was I'm awesome. trying to keep us on track here, Erin. No, at this point, I don't... We have one more thing that we need to talk about. Nebraska isn't on track. Everything's terrible. S&P rankings. No. Projections. S&P's fine. They're 45th in S&P, which That's is... pretty good. Brandon called it, by the way. Brandon Vogel called it in Hot Reads, so you should read Hot Reads every morning. He called the projection You can read Hot Reads perfectly. at hailvarsity.com, Monday through Friday mornings. You're welcome. So we have one thing left to talk about, and that's basketball. Because this is why you don't let me come on the podcast. This is exactly why I don't. <laughs> that and because you turn the light on and you blind me. I'm nocturnal. You're a vampire. Um. Yes. Nebraska basketball won Wednesday night. Dang. Big, big game um, against Minnesota. And they won by one. James Palmer hit two free throws with 1.1 seconds left on the shot clock. 1.1 second or seconds? Seconds. seconds left on the shot on the clock more on the one. game clock um to give nebraska a 62 61 win and it was one of those where they had a lead a pretty significant lead in the second half and then they didn't hit a shot from the field for the final four minutes of the game minnesota came back a little bit it was looking like it was going to be a heartbreaker that's uh, what you said you thought it was going to be a heartbreaker. i put it in slack i said this is setting up to be an absolute heartbreak for nebraska and then it wasn't <sighs> on their 150th a huge birthday. huge huge win for nebraska and palmer and nana kenton were kind of they had a, a moment at center court where they embraced and um it was an emotional night it was a much needed night for the team um i put it in my three takes you know like before i walked into the arena i got off the elevator of the parking garage with um an elderly couple and and they were like, oh, I'm really hoping for a win tonight. I was like, they need something to feel good about. And they do. They they really needed something to feel good about. And you could see last night, each home game over this stretch, Nebraska has had runs mm-hmm. where in the non-conference, early in the season, PBA would have exploded. And PBA hasn't done that. The fans have been very like anxious and very they've been they get into it, but they're very afraid to get too into it because they just know that something bad is coming at the end. It started that way Wednesday night, and then in the second half, I think everybody started to have this realization that okay, this is actually happening. They can actually win this game. I think the players on the court started to feel like, hey, we can actually win this basketball game. And I, to me, that's the most important thing to talk about with this team is because over the last month, they haven't. It doesn't look like they 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 feel like they can win basketball games yeah. on the court. They haven't looked confident enough in their ability to do to make winning basketball plays, and they did those last night. And they, you know, Isaiah Roby drew a charge on the last defensive possession of the game from Nebraska, mm-hmm. and that was what set up the the game-winning free throws for Palmer. You know, it's kind of funny. Um, you know how when Nebraska was going through the 2018 season, how it just felt like they had to get a win, they had to get a win, because once they got a win, at least they would have something to feel good about, and it would hopefully elevate them into another win. Oh, you're win. talking football? 
football. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. Who is that first win over? Minnesota. Oh, Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> there's no like, there's no connection there. Um, I just thought that was interesting that I was thinking of at that moment. But no, we saw. Well, that you know, another connection. The PJ Fleck. He coaches both. No, the two <laughs> the two best offensive performances Nebraska has had since the beginning of December. Scott Frost has been in attendance for both. There you go. There you go. Um, no, I. Here's the thing. You are right. Nebraska Nebraska needed something. I think. So for me, like when I've looked at some of our photo galleries after the basketball games over the last over the, that seven seven loss streak, um, you just would see the the I don't even know how to explain the facial expressions of people like Isaiah Roby and just anybody on the bench when we would grab a photo of them. It just it it looked defeated, and defeated is one of the worst things you can see on a player's face because that is a really hard hole to dig yourself back out of when you have absolved yourself to defeat and you feel like there's no way out it's really really difficult to find a way to get yourself back on track and we can sit here and like I've heard everything from they need they need nastier players they need everyone's too nice they need to be you know they need that leader they need and all things could be true I'm not like disagreeing that those things aren't true those are true but it's really hard to find someone like that when everybody is just feeling like you're stuck in a rut that you can't get out well, of. Well, it's hard to just artificially create that when you don't have it to begin with and you're in a, a really low point. Mm-hmm. Like... It is true. <clears throat> like, how do you manage... That is a hard thing to manufacture. They didn't... They don't have a very vocal guy on the team. They just don't. Palmer yeah. is probably the the best option there, and he he's more reserved when you get him onto the court for an actual game and when you get him in public Cop- settings. Copeland was he, he was, was becoming that guy, and now he's, he's on the injured. sideline. Yeah, I mean, you're not gonna. I mean, yeah, I I agree. They don't really. Ha- I agree with the people who say they don't really have any. You know, those nasty players. They're all like kind of goes back to like at the beginning of the season when I talked to. Brady Hyman and he said you know the coaches were trying to get him to learn how to trash Mm -hmm. talk a little bit I think the coaches also get that but when you don't have that person and you don't have that happening what do you do next as a coaching staff like what do you do to find motivation for well that's why everybody has been riding the coaching staff so hard um I for me I was very happy to see them have a feel-good moment like that um, yes. And I was very, very happy for Glenn Watson to finally play well. Um, and Glenn was making plays last night. He had a great game. He did, and and I think he finished fifty percent shooting, um, which, is, not which is really good. I mean, he he wasn't no. Jacob made the point. Jacob made sure to point out that in the first half he had eight points on eight shots, and I was like, that's fine. But he's fifty percent shooting. He's he. I mean, before he had one point in the previous four first halves that he played. Like he was making plays that that. I haven't seen him make in a couple weeks. And he was making plays that spoke to a renewed confidence about himself. And and I think that was representative of the whole team. And I hope that this is a jumping off point for the team. Um, and Miles said that both Watson and Palmer in the locker room afterwards were talking about how, okay, this is great, but now we have to move on to Northwestern. I don't think there's a run that they can make unless they just win out that will get them into the NCAA tournament. I think that ship has sailed. Um, but I think right now you're playing for pride, 
And I think these guys are pretty prideful. Um, so that's the positive side. I want to just what point something say? out. I told Brandon I would lead the show with this, and I forgot. So I'm going to bring it up now. Um, last, So okay, this little behind the scenes for anybody who wonders how things work. So because the game was a late one last night, by the time Jacob and Derek got done, um, Brandon and I were both offline for that for the rest of the night. So, like, you guys were basically on your own. Um, you and Jacob selected the same photo. Jacob was supposed to use the photo of the free throw line because he was directed to. Um, so he did. And I kind of thought this morning, because I saw the, the two tweets, and I was like, okay, they use the same photos. But when I went to the website, they were different. So I was like, I know what happened. Jacob went and changed your photo at 2 a.m. <laughs> And it made my day because I could oh, just really? see like Jacob snarkily at 2 a.m. being like, Derek. Oh, I wasn't even paying attention to that. I know, but it made my day because I can go in and see the edits. I was also not told that I was on my own. So it's fine. You're on your own. Shout own. out to you guys. I was just left in the dark. I did tell I did tell Jacob. <laughs> I was not informed. But no, it just made me laugh because I was like, I wonder who changed just the photo. And sure enough, at 2 a.m., good old Jacob Padilla up in the middle of the night. I didn't. I didn't realize. I was still like at that point too. So yeah, you guys could have just been like party. Could've, party. He could have slacked me and yelled at me. Um. So the positive positive side, Nebraska got a win. People can feel a little bit better. The team feels a little bit better. Yay. Mm-hmm. Ne- Yay. Negative side. I don't know. I don't. I don't think this changes things with uh, Tim's job security at all. Do you? No, I I mean, no. I that was think, very emphatic. I don't think one win changes things. Um, now, I, like, I think the reason that I hesitated a little bit was just because I think that maybe the discussion changes if, like, say they happen to win every single game. Yeah, like, let's say they win out. Tim has a very – Tim has a very – good argument to he has an argument that like yeah we we were going into a losing streak but two and a half games into it one of our star players got injured and we had to find a way to get around that and so it took a few games blah 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 blah. like you can make an argument if he happens to win out but i don't see nebraska winning out so no and and i i wrote this i don't think one injury late in the season is is enough to save his job um I just don't. They were playing poorly, and the things were turning down before Copeland got injured. And they probably don't lose seven in a row with Copeland in the lineup. But I mean, is two and five or that stretch much better than one seven? I mean, op- optically it looks better, but it still takes you out of the NCAA tournament. So I think, you know, Tim did. He's really good in sideline out of bounds situations, and he's really good in scheming up plays out of timeouts. And and those are some of the things that. You know, everybody rails on him all the time that he's just not a good coach and he's not a good schemer in game. He does stuff in game that looks really good. Mm-hmm. And, and you can and he does stuff that you can point to and say that is purely coaching. Yes, a player made a shot or, you know, player X hit this guy with the right pass. But setting those guys up in those positions, that's coaching. And Tim is really good um, in dead ball situations and coming out of timeouts at, at scheming things up. And he's also, I think he's done a really good job of, of trying to figure out how to get more bench minutes. Um, I think he's done it over the last couple games. Like, I think he's done a really good job, a much better job of managing the bench. They got 15 minutes from Amir Harris last night, and he had the best plus minus of anyone. They outscored 
Minnesota by 12 points when Amir Harris was on the floor, and that was big. He didn't provide much offensively, um, but he was really, really good defensively. They got serviceable minutes from Brady Hyman, which they haven't been able to get recently. Um, and this was all with not having Nana Kenton available, who is their best scoring option off the bench. I think Tim is doing – I think he's it, – it, they're at the point in the season where you just throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks – and the stuff that sticks, you just roll with. And I think Tim is doing that. Um, and that's that's a credit to him for just kind mm-hmm. of throwing things out the window and saying, okay, let's just do what can maybe get us a couple wins and can maybe get us back to playing right. And that's that's something that is, I mean, that's that's a good coach. Yeah. But at the same time, I think, you know, they still had the four-minute drought to close the game where they didn't hit a shot from the field. They still had, they were down 10-2 to start the game they gave up a 10-0 run to start the game and didn't score for like five minutes they still have those prolonged stretches where offensively it just looks like they're trying so hard to score and they just can't they can't figure out how to do it and i think at the end of the day i think the the full body of work is is if they don't win out i think the full body of work is not going to be very kind for tim no and you're right and it you know, overall, I think, and we saw this um, during their last home game where they lost, and you see the emotion from Tim. And, you know, he's always going to be a little bit of like, he's always going to trigger some different emotions and different people. Some people just absolutely hate him. Some people really love him. Some people, it doesn't feel like a whole lot of people are super impartial on him at this point. It feels no, like you either love, love him or hate him. Hate him. Yeah. But... The one thing I will say, having now, like, when I remember when Doc Sadler was fired, and you always, and same thing when Mike Riley was fired, um, can't say I felt this way necessarily about Bo Pelini, um, <laughs> but you, you do feel for the individual to a certain level where it's like, you know, I don't wish... I don't wish bad things for this person. And I you wish it could have worked out and you wish and I shouldn't say cuz I guess we don't know, maybe he will win out and then everything will be like completely different. I doubt it, but I shouldn't like just immediately project that it, whatever. Um but it does stink sometimes. Where yeah, you it just does. wish that like sometimes things could just work out for people. That's why I don't like talking about coaching candidates like we just keep getting a bunch of questions about who's a realistic coaching candidate should the position come open i don't like talking about that stuff because the position is still closed Mm -hmm. like there's still somebody in that position Mm -hmm. and i've said this time and time again it's it's still up to tim it's still up to the players like they they their the goal was make it to the ncaa tournament the mandate was make it to the ncaa tournament Mm -hmm. if they do that he's safe i think I think especially now, yeah. if they turn around, turn this around and get back to the NCAA tournament, he's safe. If they don't make the NCAA tournament, I think Moose has played this very, very well for him from a from an optics standpoint. He, I mean, he has he's put the ball in in Miles Court and said, "This is what happens if you make the tournament. This is what happens if you don't make the tournament. It's up to you. It's all up to you." And he's given him support throughout the season, and he said, "You're going to remain the coach. I'm not going to fire you." Um, we're not going to make personnel moves in in season, which I like and I appreciate. But he has, he, I mean, he, I, he has set this up to where it's very cut and dry. And I think I think it will be very cut and dry. If you make the tournament, you stay. If you don't, you're gone. Yeah, I think 
I think that was always the goal, and I think that has to remain it. And that's why I think you're right. It's, it does feel a little bit like it's hard to want to talk about potential candidates because there's still potential. And maybe that feels to some people like we're being hopeful. Uh, or not like not like we being hopeful, like the universal we, like when people are not willing yet to say like, you know, it's going to be this coach or it's going to be this or whatever. It's, I've it's, had people give me a hard time for saying regardless of how you feel about the games, there's still chances to win. Well, yeah. Because Which that's a fact. Like, it is. That's just the nature of basketball. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of striking to me last night when I was watching the BTN broadcast and they're talking about how um, going into that game, Nebraska was on a seven-game uh, seven Lost streak. Losing streak. Losing streak. I keep saying that wrong. That was painful, um, actually. I know. I, I felt it was painful for me to say. Um, Minnesota was on a three-game losing streak. Um, so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, man, you know, not that, like, Nebraska's situation wasn't bad. It was. But when, when you're now, like, Minnesota's on a four-game losing streak, like, things change very, very quickly in basketball. Yeah. And a lot of things still remain to be seen with what happens in this well, season. Well, Penn State just beat Michigan. Yeah, I mean, a lot can a lot can happen. And again, I am in no way suggesting that Nebraska is suddenly going to become like this powerhouse team. There's still things that are concerning. Yeah. But it's hard to say like who's going to be Tim's replacement when we don't even know if he's technically going to be replaced. Yeah, and and I guess this this should be the closing thought because we should probably wrap this up. But, it's fine. This um, is a three-hour podcast. I, I do want to point out that I thought heading into the game Wednesday night, I thought Nebraska had lost its identity a little bit. You know, this over the course of the beginning of the season, this was a team that prided itself on defense and built everything and and built its success off of defense. The the offense that looked good came out of transition opportunities and came out of, um, you know, a made shot. Okay, get the ball, bring it up the court quick, and let's score you know, quick. Let's not use a ton of the shot clock. They're not good in half-court situations. They haven't been good in half-court sets. They're still not going to be good in half-court sets. They're better in transition. And I thought over the last, over the slide, the seven-game losing streak, I thought they really lost their defensive aggressiveness. I thought the the offensive just putridness, I think it bled into their defense and their effort on that end of the floor. Wednesday night against Minnesota, there was a recommitment to the defensive side of the ball. And I think that was the most encouraging thing because I felt like Nebraska kind of found itself again. Um, Tim was asked in the, in the postgame if he thought, you know, if he started to see the old team from that 11-2 and two start. And he said he started to, and he brought up the defense. If they continue to play with that aggression defensively, I think they're learning – how to do things offensively. They started back. I think they back cut more last night than I think I've seen them in a month, month and a half. Um, Jacob Padilla was like, "Oh my gosh, is this what offense looks like?" Like they were doing things offensively that that were positive signs. So if they can continue, if this is the start of kind of ref, refocusing on defense, I think they have a chance. Now they've got they've got Michigan, Michigan State. Um, do they have another game against Purdue? Let me look at They've that. They've got was, Iowa left on the schedule. You said that I was literally just looking at the uh, schedule. They have, they have big games uh, against tough teams left on their schedule. And the, at 62 okay. points is not going to be enough to beat. So they, they've got Northwestern. Northwestern at Penn State, Purdue at home, at Michigan, at Michigan State, and then Iowa to end the regular season. God, if they go 4-0 over the last four games, that might be enough to, I don't know. Well, 62 points is not going to be enough to win 
any of those last four games unless there is just standout defensive play. Nebraska took a step in the right direction towards that. Yeah, the defense, with Wednesday night's the defense win. is probably yeah, yeah, I would say so. So, I guess we are kind of in wait and see mode. It's not the ship is maybe dumping some of the water out that it uh, I guess took on. So let's put it this way: there's a hole in the boat that's letting on water. The hole has not been patched, but someone found a cork that's temporarily putting it and like keeping it afloat. <laughs> Yep. But it's not something that can be permanent, so you either got to fix it or it's going to go down sinking. Yep. But, yeah. We'll wrap it up on that note. Aaron, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for letting me join, even though I derail it every you single time. come on for the first time in 2019, and we have the longest podcast we've had so far. So seems about right. Mm. I would ask people if they hate it, but they're probably not. I'm just kidding. If you're listening, tweet us and tell us how much you loved it. It's because we started for like the first 10 minutes talking about Netflix shows and lighting and your blue light glasses that I thought were black light glasses <laughs> and then MTV. Room Raiders. Man, we derailed. You got this off the rails so quickly. It's fine. Okay. We'll be back next week with another podcast. We'll have plenty of stuff on hillvarsity.com to read throughout the week and throughout the weekend. So just do that. Baseball is back. Oh, yeah. Baseball's back. Cool. Also, um, this is the last thing I'll leave you with, but since baseball is back, Kyle Cardell, he'll have recaps all weekend. Kyle! I don't know where he went. He's probably, you know, scouting the baseball team. Shout out, Kyle. Cool. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back next week.